ladies and gentlemen, in your lifetime and in my lifetime, we have gone all the way in the culture from Madonna singing Papa Don't Preach into the churches and the churches are saying preachers don't preach. The time will come when they will have itching ears and they will turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables myths. But Paul gives a word concerning apostasy and with a note of urgency he says to the young preacher, Preach the word! That's what God wants the preacher to do in this day. You know, that's what preachers always say when they get up. They're glad to be here, glad to be there. They're just glad to be everywhere. Um, I heard about this preacher one time who was preaching at a jail, and he forgot where he was. He said, uh, I'm so glad to be here today, and glad to see all of you here today. He said, I'm sure your presence here has made the world a better place. But I am truly honored to be here. I, man, you know, I didn't know you had a conference like this. I, I get invited to go to a lot of places, clogged artery Baptist church or something like that. And, uh, and uh, when I get there, Brother Mike, they're so dead the flies have already left. And uh, so it's encouraging to get somewhere where there's some life. And I, I'm honored to be here. And, uh, I hope you'll listen carefully to what I have to say. You don't always say what you think when you get older. You know, old folks say funny things. Have you ever noticed that? They don't mean to say funny things, but they say funny things. I heard about these uh, two old guys the other day sitting out on the back porch, both of them pretty old. and uh, One of them turned to the other. He said, Bob, I can never remember. Was it you or your brother that was killed in World War II? <laughs> Now, uh, some of you slower folks will catch that toward the end of the service. <laughs> I had a pastor tell me the other day, he asked an old guy in his church, he said, uh, uh, how are you and your wife doing, brother? He said, well, we're doing pretty good. Well, how's your wife doing? He said, well, she's doing pretty good. He said, the only trouble is she's a butterface. He said, a butterface? He said, I don't believe I know what a butterface is. What is that? He said, well, she looks good everywhere but her face. <laughs> That's terrible, isn't it? I, I tell you. Uh, I very rarely ever say to think about a book or a product what I preach, but I... I want to say something about this tonight because it's a little bit about what I want to preach about. Uh, but several months ago, the Lord laid on my heart to write my life story. It's called, They Call Him Junior. And someone said the utter height of presumption is to write your own life story. Uh, my son is a little cynical in some ways, and he said, Dad, uh, who do you think would be interested in reading that? I said, Your mama. But you know, Brother Hayes, as I sat down and recalled the story, there were days that I wept 
as I saw the big hand of God that I couldn't see when it was happening. And as you older folks know, as you get older, the big picture gets clearer. We'll talk about that tonight. That book's back there. You might get a blessing out of it. I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. And I want to read you 11 words that can change your life. 11 simple words that can change your life. Psalm 37, verse number 23. Listen to what the psalmist said. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. As you look at those 11 simple little words, they seem to divide themselves into three simple divisions. I want to give you those three divisions, say a brief word about the first one, a little bit about the second one, and then devote most of our time on the third one. But now let's look at that natural division of that simple 11-word statement. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. First of all, I want you to notice the word process, the steps. That is sometimes translated in other translations, the walk of a man. And it actually does not have anything to do with a literal movement of one's feet. So when the psalmist says that the steps of a good man, he is not talking about the actual movement of your feet and of your legs. It is the walk of a man. And the walk and the steps of a man are very similar. When you were growing up, I would imagine your parents often said to you, as my parents said to me, now you watch your steps. Now, when your mama said that to you or your daddy said that to you, you didn't think about your steps literally, where you was going to put your feet at proper times. You understood that to mean your actions and your lifestyle and your manner of living. What's the way you live? What's your conduct? What's your manners? What's your abilities to do this or that? So the word literally means not just the movement of your feet, but it means the life or the manner of your living. So the manner of your living, the process, the steps. But now second of all, there is the word that I want you to notice, not only the process, but the person of the process. The steps of a good man. Now, unfortunately, sometimes we don't understand what a good man is. I would imagine, uh, Brother Hayes, I don't know that I'm right in saying this, but I would imagine that probably the most misunderstood doctrine in all of the Bible in this present culture in which we live is the misunderstanding of goodness in the sight of God. See, see, we've got a lot of people that don't understand what goodness is in the sight of God. There are about four kinds of goodness that a person can have, and I don't have time to elaborate on these very much, but let me just call your attention to them. First of all, there is an inherited goodness. You see, the Word of God teaches us that we are to teach our children the law of God. We're to put it over the doorpost of our homes and we're to remind them and constantly put it before them. 
And there is a form of goodness and morality that we inherited from our parents. My mom and daddy were not saved. I grew up in an unsaved home. My mom and daddy never went to church till I was a preacher. My daddy and mama never darkened the door of the church, never read the Bible to me. They never taught me anything about the, the, the God of the Bible. I knew nothing. I was a pagan. But you know an interesting thing? Even though my mom and daddy were not saved, they said, Junior, don't lie. Don't steal. Don't be unkind to people. My mom and daddy were lost people. And yet they instilled into me some moral principles of good living that I still practice today as a 70-year-old man. Inherited goodness. And there are some of you here today that are practicing things that you were taught by your mom and daddy. They were imparted to you when you were a child. You inherited some kind of goodness. Second of all, there is an improvement goodness. Now an improvement goodness is when a bad person thinks, I want to be a better person. It's when a liar says, I want to tell the truth. It's when a thief says, I want to be honest. It's when an adulterer says, I want to be clean. And in a decadent day like we're living in now, anybody with common sense would welcome any improvement to this society, wouldn't we? And I thank God for anybody that's trying to get better or do better or be better. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you tonight that all of the improvement you will ever do will never satisfy the demands of a holy God. You're not good because of what you inherited. You're not good by how you improved. But now let me show you the third thing. And this is the most subtle of all. And I would suspect that more religious people are deceived about this than any other thing. And there is a goodness of imitation. Now listen very carefully. If Jesus is the Son of God, if He died upon the cross and He is the Savior, then if I want to be good, then I must try to be like Jesus. I must talk like Jesus. I must try to act like Jesus. I must try to think like Jesus. Jesus ought to be the thing that I imitate most of all in my life. I need to be like Jesus. Now don't you misunderstand what I'm about to say. Anybody that is common sense knows we won't be like Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what sanctification is. Sanctification is nothing more than the process whereby God takes a regenerate sinner and moves him toward the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are becoming like Jesus Christ. And that ought to be the goal of every one of us in this building. I want to be as much like Jesus as I can possibly be. I want to think like He thought and act like He acted, speak like He spoke. I want to be like Jesus. But oh, listen now. Your goodness is not by imitating Jesus. See, dear friend, you're not a good man or a good woman because you inherited it, because you improved, or because you even imitated Jesus. You know where goodness comes from? Paul says it is in. That is that God by His grace took the righteous holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ one on the cross and when you're saved God takes that perfect righteousness 
and He imputes or imparts it to your account, and you stand under the holy righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Hallelujah. If you're a good man, you're good for one reason, and that's because God let the righteousness of Jesus live in your heart. I sat on an airplane the other day, talked to a man. I don't like to talk to people on airplanes about the Lord. If they get mad at you, you've got to ride with them the rest of the way. And so I, I kind of wait till we're getting ready to land. And so I said to this guy, sir, I wonder if you've ever been saved. It made him mad. I could tell he got mad. He said, well, I'll tell you one thing. I'm as good as you are. And I thought in my heart, I don't believe so. He said, well, what kind of person do you think you are? I didn't tell him this because I knew he wouldn't understand it. But I wanted to say, sir, I am a perfect man. Can't you imagine what he'd said to that? You don't look good. Oh, but thank be unto God, don't have anything to do with the way I look. It has something to do with what I have, and that is the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ given to me the day by faith. I trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. The steps of a good man inherited, imputed by the righteousness of Jesus. Now, that's a little introduction to what I want to say tonight. Let me give you the third part of that verse, and that is the promise. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I love that word ordered. When I looked it up in the Hebrew language, I was quite intrigued that Strong's Hebrew concordance gave about 20 meanings to the word. That word has about 20 shades of meaning. Now, I saw some of you uh, flinch a little bit when I said that because when I said 20 meanings, you thought I was going to discuss all 20 of them with you tonight. But I'm going to tell you, like Elizabeth Taylor told her lost husband, I'm not going to keep you long tonight. Now, so just uh, hang on here. As you look at those words that Strong says ordered means, it's fascinating to me to see several of them that I want to talk about tonight. When he says that the steps of a good man are ordered, what does that mean? What does that word ordered actually mean? Well, let me give you several uh, little indications of what it seems to mean. First of all, the word means fashioned. It means to create or form something by a deliberate act of one's will. Fashioned. The psalmist described it so beautifully in another portion of the psalms. You don't have to turn to this, but let me read you what the psalmist said. My substance, and I thought about this, Mike, while you sang uh, that song a moment ago. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought. Curiously wrought. In the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned. There's that word, fashioned. When as yet there was none of them. Dear friend, how in the world could you read that and still be an abortionist? Lord have mercy, how? How could you see that even before the members of the little baby's hands were formed, God was fashioning the child? 
Oh, dear friend, I think about that word curiously wrought. That doesn't mean that all of us are curious, but it means we're curiously wrought. And it is a beautiful word that describes the embroidering of a material. Now, you ladies can understand that, can't you? How many times have you ladies ever had a tapestry and you had a needle and thread in your hands and you took out a piece of red thread and you threaded that needle and you put some red stitches in that tapestry? And then you put some white thread and you put some white stitches and then you took some green ones and you curiously wrought the piece according to the desires of your creative hand. Now that's exactly what God says. You are curiously embroidered is what God is literally saying. God has stitched you together. Oh, brother, you're not an accident, as Brother Mike said. You're curiously wrong. You know, in the early days of my life, I couldn't understand that. I, I grew up with a real serious inferiority complex. It's caused by a lot of things. For one thing, I was poor. My mom and daddy were sharecroppers and I grew up on a farm. My mom and daddy were uneducated, illiterate people. And I, I was embarrassed about my background. I was tongue-tied. When I was first uh, eight or nine years old, I, I couldn't even speak plain. Words wouldn't come out of my mouth. I was overweight. I'd been, been fat all my life. I weighed 75 pounds when I was born. And I, I just wouldn't brought it back. I asked my wife the other day, Brother Fred, I said, Carol, have you seen my belt around the house? She said, oh, will it go around the house now? <laughs> and I grew up very insecure. And I would look at men that I thought were handsome or ladies that were lovely, and I would be intimidated because I didn't think I looked like that. And you know, I would imagine every one of you in this building know what that kind of intimidation is, don't you? You know, the devil has a remarkable way of finding out what bothers you. Have you ever noticed that? He finds out what you're sensitive about. He won't ever let you forget it. I don't have any trouble with being bald. I don't have a bit of trouble with baldness. It's interesting that hair will grow in your ears and nose, but not on your head, isn't it? But when it comes to being fat, that's sort of a stronghold that the devil gets at me, and he don't ever let me forget that. Uh, I was reminded that the other day. My wife went shopping, and she spared me the misery of going with her. Thank God for that. I want to give you a little prophetic truth tonight. I'm not a prophecy preacher, but I want to give you a prophetic truth. If you miss the rapture, one of the tribulations you're going to have is having to shop all day long. <laughs> They're going to drop you in the front of Walmart at 8 in the morning and pick you up at 11 at night. <laughs> Don't miss the rapture. And when Carol got home, she was so excited. She said, honey... I saw all these new colors they got at the store. They got all these new colors now. That don't mean anything to a man. You get past black and brown and blue, that's all men know anything about. I said, well, honey, what colors were they? She said, well, one of them was celery. Celery. 
Now, can't you see a big old burly guy going down to the store? I want to buy a shirt. What color would you like, sir? Celery. <laughs> she said, honey, I have bought you a new coat in one of those new exciting colors. I said, well, what color is it? She says, right here inside the tag on the coat. And when I opened the coat and looked at it, you know what the color was? I am telling you the truth. Elephant. I said, I ain't going to wear it. Bad enough to be as big as an elephant, but I don't want a stupid coat telling me that every morning when I get up. Has the devil ever found out what you're sensitive about? He knows your weaknesses and your places where you have difficulty. He will ever let you forget them. He'll always accuse you, but I got some news for the devil. I'm curiously wrought. And God has in His grace fashioned me and He is pleased with His creation. Now, He may not like me as big as I am, but He's pleased with what He did. You know, when I first started preaching, I, I didn't know this, but I learned this several years ago. I learned that I can do something that nobody else in all of the world can do. Did you know that? I can do something you can't do. I can do something the President of the United States can't do. There's not a man, woman alive in America or the world that can do what Junior Hill can do. You know what I can do? Nobody else can do it. I'm the best Junior Hill that there is. You say, well, I'd rather be a second-rate somebody else. Well, that's not the point. The point is, I'm the best God did in Junior Hill. Dear friends, you have stopped to think you're the best person you are. Nobody else can be like you. Isn't that a sweet, precious promise? Curiously wrought, fashioned by the hand of God. Second, furnished. Look what the psalmist said. He said, I've been young and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Aren't you grateful to God that when He fashioned you, not only did He fasten you, but He determined that He would furnish you all that you need in everything that you do. You know, it's been a wonderful thing to me as an evangelist. I I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say because I'm I'm not trying to be critical of anybody. Whatever a man does is his own decision. But I've been an evangelist for 40 years. I, I travel around the country all the time, 40 years. And when I started in evangelism 40 years ago, one of the first things that I determined in my heart that I would never ask any man for one dime of money. Now, don't you go out of here and tell folks Brother Hill preached about people doing that. That's perfectly wonderful and legitimate. And most ministries could not survive if men didn't ask for help from the family of God. And that's good. That's Bible, and that's Christian, and that's what men ought to do in the ministry. If they need help, ask the brethren for help. But somehow in my own particular case, probably based upon my shyness and insecurity, 
God just impressed on my heart, don't ever ask anybody anything. I will take care of you. And for 40 years, Brother Mike, not one time have I ever had to ask anybody for anything because our sovereign God has supplied every need. And the wonderful thing about it, sometimes he does it in such unusual and funny ways. I got on an airplane the other day to fly from Birmingham to Atlanta, about a 25-minute flight. I was discouraged, didn't want to leave home, didn't want to talk to anybody. I was just kind of in a bad mood. Did you ever get like that? I sat down in my seat and half of the seat of the guy next to me, and I was... Uh, <laughs> You're such a perceptive congregation, I tell you. you listen to and finally this guy came, sat down by my side. He's reading a book. Had that book in his hand. He's just reading it like this. Had his, turned his back right to me and just sitting there reading that book. Now you may not like me, but you just can't help seeing me. So I knew he saw me. But for some reason he didn't want to talk to me. So he's turned his back. And I immediately developed a dislike for him. I said, I bet he's a liberal. I bet anything he's a liberal. <laughs> we started to get into the Atlanta area. The Lord just got all over me. He said, I want you to talk to this man about being saved. Jesus, I don't even like him. He's reading a book. His eyebrows go together in the middle here. <laughs> People like that are dangerous. <laughs> we started to land, and the Spirit of God just got all over me. He said, here you are going from here to Atlanta. Tell people how to be a witness. You won't even witness this guy on the plane beside you. Why don't you talk to him? I said, sir, before we land, I wonder if I ask you a question. Do you know Jesus? Have you ever been saved? And he laid that book down and turned, looked me right in the face. He said, yes, sir. I know Jesus. It's wonderful to be saved, isn't it? We had about five minutes of fellowship. We exchanged calling cards. I went on my way. A couple of weeks later, I received a letter from that man. Dear Brother Hill, I'm writing to tell you that I enjoyed talking to you on the airplane. I'm praying for your ministry. And in the letter was a check for $1,000. I said, bless God, I'm a witness to everybody I see from here on out. Aren't you grateful to God that He knows what you need? He supplies what you don't have. But I want to show you a second thing. I don't have time to elaborate on this, but I just want to point it out to you. Not only does he supply what you don't have, but he sustains what you do have. Now, I wish I had time to talk about this, but listen to what the psalmist says verse 16. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. And sometimes we say, God, I want something. And he says, no, I'm not going to supply this for you, but I am going to sustain what you've already got. And brother, I've learned if God don't give me what I ask, then he knows that I've already got what I need. 
See, God don't want you to live in poverty. He'll give you what you need, but He don't always reveal to you what you need. And you just have to trust God and say, whatever it is, I've learned to be content. He supplies your need and He sustains what you already have. Furnished. But let me say this third thing. That word means fitted. I want you to listen very carefully. It is a picture of somebody taking something in this hand and creating it by his precise measurements until it has gaps and spaces in it. And over here he creates something else and he puts gaps and spaces in it. And under his sovereign will and direction, God has a miraculous way of taking this creation and that creation and merging them so that the spaces fit properly in God's direction. Well, aren't you grateful to God for that? Aren't you grateful to God that when he curiously wrought you, he was working on something else that he's going to fit you up with and when he got you just like he wanted you, he merged you with something else and you fitted. When I was a young boy, I told you already I was bashful and shy. All the way through high school, I never had a girlfriend. Uh, I had reasons to, you know, have a girlfriend. I was uh, captain of the football team and vice president of the class and the most valuable player. You know, I, I was a... You know, not a nerd necessarily, but maybe a dork, but not a nerd. <laughs> I don't know what those words mean. My grandkids use them all the time, but I, I don't believe they're nice words. And I guess I was too bashful ever to ask a girl for a date. And so I, 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 I never asked her. One time I went out on a date. One time I went out with this girl. She's as ugly as something out of Mad Magazine. <laughs> I told somebody I met two ugly people in my lifetime. She's both of them. <laughs> but I thought, Lord, if that's what Dayton's all about, I'm not interested in it. <laughs> I graduated from high school and never had a girlfriend. And I used to go to bed at night and I'd think, God, I wish I had somebody that I could call. That's a big old lonely, fat, unhappy boy. I went to Howard College. One day I was sitting out there on the front of Old Main campus, me and some of my football buddies talking, and I looked down the hall, and there came this beautiful, tall, strikingly blonde girl. And she walked past me. And to make a long story short, if we live till March, we've been married 50 years. Amen. And I think, oh God, what if I'd have married some old ugly trumpet? with a wooden leg and a glass eye and her drawers held up by safety pins. 
I can't believe I said that, but I believe I... <laughs> That's my last time here, I guess. <laughs> Junior Hill left some spaces in there. Down there in Birmingham, Alabama, unknown to me, on seventh place southwest, God was curiously rotting Carol Splon. And at the appointed hour of the sovereign work of God, he merged those curiously wrought articles together and they fitted uniquely in a blessed union called marriage. And my steps were ordered by the Lord. Aren't you grateful to God for that? Man, think, what if you'd have married the first person you wanted to marry? You say, oh God, I wish I had. No, no, what if you'd, what if you'd have married the first person you wanted to marry? You would have missed the curious rotting of God fitted you together. Well, I've preached a little too long, but i got one more thing I want to say to you. Furnished, fashioned, fitted, finished. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day. Aren't you grateful to God that what he started in you he's going to keep on going. Brother Hayes you're an evangelist and such a godly evangelist and I, I admire and respect you so much. And I'm sure there are times in your life as there are in my time in my life where the devil gets you in a discouraging place and uh, some, some months ago, I was uh, sort of in kind of a little valley. And I, I was thinking about my life. I'm, I'm 70 years old. I know you find that hard to believe. I, I could see you gasping when I said that. Because I look like I'm about 35. But, uh, I'm 70 years old. And I know that my ministry is in the final quarter. Maybe the last minutes of the final quarter. Maybe even overtime. And so Carol and I have been talking about it. We talk all the time. Honey, what's it going to be like? Well, what's it going to be like when we stand before him? And Carol's been trying to get me to do something I haven't particularly wanted to do. I'd put it off as long as I could. She'd say, now, honey, we need to do this today. Let's do it today. I didn't want to do it. But finally, she caught me in a moment of senility. And so, honey, we need to do this today. You know what Carol wanted to do? She wanted to buy some cemetery plots. Now, boy, that is an exciting afternoon, isn't it? <laughs> honey, pack us a lunch. We'll go out and look at the cemetery plots. Went out this little cemetery in Hartzell, looked around. I said, Carol, how do you like these right here, honey? Oh, those would be fine. Ma'am, we'll take these two right here. We was walking back to the car. And Carol began to cry. Just broke out crying. Honey, don't cry. We all got to die. It's just a process of dying. She said, that's not what it is. Well, I said, why are you crying? She said, I don't know if I like it out here or not. Isn't that just like a woman? 
I said, well, honey, why, why don't you like him? She said, I don't know any of these people out here. I don't know any of these people out here. I said, well, honey, I don't believe it's going to matter whether you know him or not. Well, he's riding home, Brother Hayes. And Carol fell into one of those contemplative moods that women get in sometimes. Her eyes got glazed over, looking off in the horizon. Something about hormones. I don't know what it is, you know. I thought she'd overdosed on her hairspray or something. I don't know. So I knew she's about to say something. I just kind of braced myself for it. And finally, she looked at me and she said, Honey, when you die, what do you want me to put on your tombstone? I thought, doggone, I was worried about what I was going to eat for supper. She's worried about, oh, put on a tombstone. I said, put these words, honey. Slim at last. So, oh, no, no. Why you only put on it? I got home later and I was reading the Bible. And this wonderful scripture came to my eyes. Oh God, thou hast taught me from my youth. And hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. I thought, Lord, for 50 years I've tried to do that. And then the next verse, now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. And ladies and gentlemen, sitting there that day, God gave me this sweet, wonderful promise, son, I have heard your prayers. And even though you're old, and even though you're old and gray-headed, I will direct your path. I have ordered your steps. Hallelujah to God. Ordered. Just Good Preaching Podcast is an Unseen Hand Media production. This podcast is on all the most popular podcasting apps, so be sure to subscribe. And while you're at it, be sure to stop over on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that others can find these messages. For more information about the Just Good Preaching Podcast and many other podcasts, go to ronniebrown.net forward slash unseen. That is ronniebrown.net forward slash unseen. Thank you so much for listening.